This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Sex ed is also kind of a misnomer. I think when people think sex ed, they think putting a condom on a banana, which can be part of a sex ed lesson. But we're talking about relationships and sexuality education, which is a K through 12 curriculum. It reduces risk of child abuse because we know that when kids know they have the right to their bodies and their boundaries and also how to stick up for them and also how to name what parts they have, all of those things contribute to kids being able to go report if someone tries to hurt them. There's going to be less shaming and silencing. And you can see in studies, like, it really does reduce risk of child abuse. That's just for starters. The thing I always say when I talk about my own experience of sexual assault and sex ed is Of course, I wish I had better sex ed for a hundred reasons, but I also super wish that the guy who hurt me had better sex ed, right? Like what if he learned just like a different set of lessons about what it means to be a good person and a good guy? Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and today I invited an old pal on the show to talk sex education. Hi, my name is Jacqueline Friedman. I'm the founder and executive director of Educate Us, Seek Us in Action. Jacqueline is a brilliant activist and author. She wrote Unscrewed and What You Really, Really Want, in addition to co-editing some anthologies on the same sort of themes. And she's really smart about this stuff. This is like such a timely conversation, so I'm so happy to share it with you. Jacqueline, I'm excited to catch up with you. It's been a while. I know! And you have an exciting new project, which we'll totally get into. But first, I wanted to, I was doing a little research and I noticed that your middle name on Twitter right now is Sexual Anarchist. (laughs) And I was like, yes! (laughs) We got to talk about this. What does that mean? I have the funniest story (laughs) for you about that. So I put that in my bio sometime last year when some Republican politician was like, I actually forget who it was because there's been so much. I know. But basically, like the bad outcome he was trying to scare people about was that we would have sexual anarchism. And I was like, that sounds good. Yeah, here for it. (laughs) I, I think that I'm like really here for sexual anarchism, like decentralized and community based and destroying norms and institute i'm like i'm here for it so i just put it in there and i left it there because i liked it it was funny and literally like six or eight months later long enough ago that i had already sort of forgotten about it although not as much as i've forgotten now i got contacted by a new york times reporter for a trend piece or something who wanted to know (laughs) what it meant because like the right is all talking about sexual anarchists now evidently and was like tell me what your movement is about and i was like oh honey no (laughs) well so i mean in a way a little bit i mean i did pitch him that too but i was like there are no sexual anarchism meetings right no no (laughs) 
<laughs> that's not the collective. Okay, but it is kind of a sad time to do what you do, what we do right now. So how are you coping? Oh, how am I coping? I know you rage bake sometimes. I was just going to talk about kitchen stuff, actually. <laughs> I a, a few months ago on a whim, I was like targeted by Instagram ads for this company called The Peach Truck, which is oh. this company that like basically gets peaches from Georgia, like smaller farms, I guess, and like puts them all under this brand. And then like the truck arrives in your town and you have to go pick them up at like a location. And I got this week, I got a box of 25 pounds of peaches. I love it. And you had to go like do a scavenger hunt to get them. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. It was like in a parking lot at an outdoor (laughs) mall situation. And I couldn't figure out where in the parking lot it was. And I've been having a peach palooza. Oh, so I so far I've made peach butter with some ginger in it, which is really tasty. And this kind of like peach bars, like with um, oat flour and some blueberries, kind of like a peach crumble, but a little more solid. And uh, I've mostly made peach ice cream in that I've made the custard and prepared the peaches, but I haven't actually churned it yet. And then tomorrow we're doing peach jam. And then I'm going to make peach syrup. It turns out you can make out of the peach skins that you take off when you make the jam and the butter. And then I'm probably Mm going to make a peach shrub (laughs) because I'm fancy. So I'm like, I'm doing all things peaches right now. You're like, no abortion rights, but mm, these peaches are delicious. (laughs) If I have to eat my feelings right now, I would like them to taste like peaches. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so... The reason why I invited you here to chat today is to talk about public school sex ed because it's in a bad place and I want to talk to you about why it's so bad and what we can do about it. I love that question. That's the question I live for. I know. Not just why is it so bad, (laughs) but what can we do about it? Because, you know, there was this New York Times trend piece. You were back on the New York Times trend piece. (laughs) We're going to have it. We're going to have a trend piece about New York Times trend pieces. It was like a decade ago about this great sex ed teacher named Al Vernacchio and what he was teaching and in his like Quaker private school in, in Pennsylvania where he taught. He's a wonderful sex ed teacher. Really great. And everyone I knew like circulated it and said, like, isn't this fantastic? I wish this was taught everywhere, but too bad that can't happen in America. And that's like what planted the seeds of what I'm doing now, honestly, was like, can't it? Right. If this guy can do it. Can't it happen in public schools? Like, it can't happen now, but it's only can't if we can't, if we don't start trying to figure out how to do it. So mm-hmm. many years later, as you know, I have started an organization called Educate Us, and my job that I've invented for myself is mm-hmm. to build a movement of sex ed voters, people who vote based on sex ed policy when deciding which candidates to vote for. Okay, I love this. I want to know more about how it works, because I was like, vote interesting angle for advocacy. I mean, duh, we need that. But like, it's not always the first step. So how did you get there? And how does it work? Uh, I mean, I got there because I've been involved for the last six-ish years in trying to get a sex ed bill passed here in Blue, Massachusetts. And right now, as we're recording this, it's two weeks before the end of the session. And it's unclear whether we're going to get it done this cycle. It's been 11 years since the bill was first introduced. Oh, my God. Um, It's passed 
four times in the Senate, but the House refuses to take it up every time the House leadership specifically. We have the votes in the House. It's popular, the population of Massachusetts, but the House leadership just somehow never manages to bring it to the floor for a vote. What's the bill? It's called the Healthy Youth Act, and it's not even the bill I wish it was. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a mandate in it. It literally only says if you teach sex ed in Massachusetts public schools, it has to be based in fact and science. It has to teach about consent and healthy relationships. It has to be LGBTQ affirming, right? Like, like the basic stuff that you would want sex ed to be. Right. You can't teach crap and call it sex ed. You either have to not teach sex ed or teach good sex ed. That's all the bill says. And here we are 11 years later. So I I started looking around after the first couple of failures. Okay, that but I, just can I say that's so frustrating. <laughs> 11 years and you're just really not even asking for anything like. I'm like smiling right now as I'm talking to you, but I'm <laughs> inside. I am screaming. I'm incandescent with rage about it. I really thought this was going to be the session. It might still. We are not going down. We are fighting to the very last hour of session. Maybe by the time this airs, you can like post a little good news at the end. Oh, of I would it. love to. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm really not sure. It could genuinely go either way. And the fact that it should be this much of a nail biter is ridiculous. So are we fucked? We're not fucked. We just have not spent on the left any time building an actual political movement around sex education because the men who've been typically in charge of the fucking party feel very squeamish and weird about it. Aren't super down with everybody having full bodily autonomy and like women getting to like decide what they like about sex and all of that stuff. Are we going to make people gay? I don't know. All of that stuff. (laughs) Like, what about the trans? I heard it is contagious. So the left has typically, the powers that be have typically said, oh, like, of course, we don't want kids to have sex. But like, what if we just wanted to reduce teen pregnancy and STIs, which is a, not inspiring to anybody, right? Like, it's not making an argument for something. It's just like, it'd be good if there was less bad stuff. It's like not a great inspiring political argument. And it restigmatizes teens who are actually having babies and people who have STIs, right. right? Like it's, and another part of the problem with that argument is parents who are one of the largest constituencies you would imagine for in terms of showing up and voting around this issue don't want to think that their kid is going to have sex at all. And so they don't think their kid is going to get pregnant or get an STI. And therefore they're like, well, it's not a me issue. And so the left has just been nowhere on this issue. There are amazing organizers that I'm working with now in their own communities, like the coalition I work with here in Massachusetts, but we've been on our own. There's been no funding. There's no jobs. Like you can't, it's very hard to get a job in sex ed policy or sex ed advocacy. Uh-huh. You can get jobs teaching sex ed as a private sex educator. And if you're super lucky as a public sex educator, but in terms of sex ed advocacy, maybe if you do that in addition to working on abortion, right? Or right. like it's a it's like a plus add-on. And one mm-hmm. of the reasons I wound up starting this was I saw in Massachusetts here that, you know, like one year the coalition would be held by our state level Planned Parenthood and the next year would be held by the Boston area rape crisis. And these are great organizations doing great work. But when it comes time to spend political capital on this issue, 
they're going to trade us away for their core they're issue. Busy. Yeah. Right. They, this is not their core issue. It's like an issue they care about. It's an issue that they recognize is related mm-hmm. to their core issue, but it's not their core issue. And so I was like, well, who, who is here for whom this is the issue? And I looked around and I was like, there are a few C3 nonprofits who cannot do any electoral work because if you want me to get into boring tax law stuff, I will. But oh, you can't, you can't do it at that level. So the, I'm going to explain tax for law me the, just a little bit. The briefest <laughs> amount of tax law possible because I do not want to kill your podcast. Um, so what what we think of traditionally as a nonprofit is an organization that like does good in for the community and as a reward for that or an incentive. The IRS says yes, I recognize that you do social good. People who give money to you can write it off on their taxes. Right. But there's restrictions that come with that. And one of them is you can't directly advocate for or against any candidate or party or do anything that's perceived to be that. So there's a whole world of like election related advocacy that your average nonprofit cannot do. The next tax code over is 501c4, which is what Educate Us is, which is actually technically a nonprofit, but we can do some political advocacy, like the direct vote for this person, not that person. Democrats are better than Republicans on this issue kind of talk. And in exchange, if you give money to us, you cannot write it off on your taxes. It's like giving money to a political candidate. Oh, interesting. And so a lot of organizations, so you'll notice that there's kind of two Planned Parenthoods, right? So there's the Planned Parenthood where you go and get your medical care. Uh Uh-huh. That's the C3. And then there's a Planned Parenthood that tells you who they endorse in, and like who lobbies legislators. That's the C4. A lot, but there are more organizations than you realize that are actually two organizations working closely in tandem. Okay, that was very interesting. That is, <laughs> that's your tax law lesson in the middle of our conversation about sex ed. So I started a C4 because I was like, we need to be able to do actual right. politics on this. But I partnered with a long existing C3 called Secus, which is like the policy shop for sex ed. It sets the national standards uh-huh. and like does a lot of great research and advocacy, but can't do the political stuff. And both of us see... Both organizations see sex ed as a huge engine for social change, right? Our argument isn't, what if there were less pregnancies? Our argument is, if you care about transforming the world in the way that we claim to as progressives, you have to care about sex education, right? If you care about queer liberation, you have to care about sex education. If you care about gender-based violence and harassment, you have to care about sex education. Honestly, if you care about destabilizing white supremacy, you care about sex education because it's really about teaching young people from a very young age that like their body is theirs and those people's bodies are theirs and everyone is equal in terms of their rights. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? 
It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So yeah, let's talk about like why. Like what are the outcomes? How does sex ed improve lives? The outcomes are so cool. I can nerd out with you about the outcomes forever. Sex ed, good, comprehensive K through 12 relationships and sexuality education. Because sex ed is also kind of a misnomer. I think when people think sex ed, they think putting a condom on a banana, which Mm -hmm. can be part of a sex ed lesson. But we're talking about relationships and sexuality education, which is a K through 12 curriculum. It reduces risk of child abuse, because we know that when kids know they have the right to their bodies and their boundaries and also how to stick up for them and also how to name what parts they have, all of those things contribute to kids being able to go report if someone tries to hurt them. There's going to be less shaming and silencing. And you can see in studies, like it really does reduce risk of child abuse. That's just for starters. It does reduce bullying and harassment in schools. And not only that, it makes kids more likely if they see somebody else being bullied or harassed, it makes them more likely to stick up for that other person. It builds community, right? Like it reduces intimate partner violence and sexual violence. It increases, as you might imagine, because if school feels safer, it increases academic performance. Oh, interesting. Good sex ed. Sex and relationships education increases academic performance, right? Like I believe, and I don't, I don't have a study for this. I also think that it, has the potential to reduce dependency on police, right? So if you reduce intimate partner violence and give people the skills to solve conflict peacefully, which is some of the lessons you'll get in a K through 12 sex and relationships education curriculum, you don't need the police as much, right? Like it's so far reaching. It's so transformative. My shortest pitch is this. Imagine a generation of men raised knowing how to handle rejection. Yeah. Just that one change. Imagine that. I saw slight detour, but I saw this play. I was not expecting to be touched by it in the way that I was. But some ladies that I went to college with had put on out in L.A. like a play with local. I think they were high school or college kids. And it was about rape. You know, but like a real, so, you know, in a way it was like a during school auditorium kind of assembly thing. Sure. But it felt real in this way because the kids were young and, and like it was really well done. And I was like in there crying, but, and so was everyone else. But I think I was like, oh, that's the assembly. Like we should have had, you know what I mean? I do. Cause you know, the thing I always say when I talk about my own experience of sexual assault and sex ed is of course, I wish I had better sex ed for a hundred reasons, but I also super wish that the guy who hurt me had better sex. Yeah. Right. Like what if he learned just like a different set of lessons about what it means to be a good person and a good guy. And like where the line is and you know what I mean? Like all that stuff. So when you're talking about these outcomes, it's like, yeah, of course. And sometimes, and I don't mean to suggest that all rapists are just confused and need better lessons, (laughs) but I do think that sex ed can create community norms that don't allow that kind of behavior to like 
a lot of times people who rape, they start with lower level violations, right? So they might Mm -hmm. start by grabbing some girl's ass in the hallway, right? And, And then they see that the adults don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, you know, they learn this cumulative set of lessons over time. It's not that they think they have consent and they're they're wrong. It's that they've learned that the community norm is for them, it doesn't matter. And they can mm-hmm. take whatever they want. And sex ed, especially, and this is why the public school part of it is so important, really can reset community norms so that everybody's working from the same page right. about what consent is and what it looks like. I like to talk about two different cases that really illustrate this. So some of your listeners may remember some years ago, I think it's probably 10 years ago at this point, there was a a rape that made national headlines in Steubenville, Ohio, Mm -hmm. where a high school girl was very drunk at party and was dragged from party to party by these two high school boys who were like star football players in the town and raped. And there were other boys there. And on the witness stand, one of the boys who witnessed the rape but didn't perpetrate it was asked, like, why didn't you intervene? <laughs> like, why didn't you do something? And he said, I didn't know that's what rape looked like. Now, yeah. maybe he was telling the truth and maybe he wasn't, but he thought that was plausible enough that that's what he said at the very least, right? Because of the community norms weren't there about what consent looks like. And if you compare that to the sort of Brock Turner case, uh-huh. which was the Stanford swimmer case where the same basic thing happened, which was like, there was a passed out drunk girl and a guy actively raping her. And she was laying passively on the ground. And these two guys happened upon that scene and they, they saw it for what it was. And they said, this is rape and we must intervene now. Right, and they right. like grabbed him until the police got there. And the difference is that those guys were Swedish and they grew up with good sex ed and they know what sex that with consent looks like, which is that both people are participating. And it's not just like somebody acting upon someone who's passively passed out. And I promise you in Ohio, that kid did not have that, that education. And so it's about sort of those community norms so that the violence becomes legible to us. And we also know what's expected of us. We, are, we know we're expected to intervene. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So we need sex ed. It's very important. Obviously. It's very important. <laughs> now, you know, I am, you know, I started, as you know, doing anti rape work. That's where I started sort mm-hmm. of my career and my activism. I think that I wound up here not accidentally, like all roads lead to, because I got really sick of doing intervention. And I have just over time been like, what if we did prevention? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. How. Can people get involved with the organization and like, how does this movement move forward? Well, I will tell you first up that I just launched it in November. So we are still building it. Whoa. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Get in on the ground floor. (laughs) It's a shop of me plus an intern right now. We're hoping soon to be able to hire an organizer, but right now it's largely me. So the very simplest thing people can do is go to our website, which is educateusaction.org. And you'll see one of the menu items is take the pledge. Mm. You click on that. You can just pledge to be a sex ed voter. It's so easy. You just have to say, I promise to care about sex ed when I'm making my voting decisions. And we will send you information as races come up where sex ed is at stake. That's the very easiest thing you can do. Well, not only remind you that there's a primary coming up, which you might, or a local election, a school Mm -hmm. board election you might know about. Here's how to make sure you're registered to vote and where to vote. But also like, here's the candidates who are going to stick up for a sex ed. Mm 
That's the very easiest thing you can do. There's also a tab on our website, again, educateusaction.org, that says get involved with a bunch of different kinds of volunteer opportunities. If people want to go harder than that, I'm always interested in hearing from people, including people who maybe are thinking of running for school board, because that is an incredible thing that people can do. This is all, a lot of this gets regulated at the school board level. In Massachusetts, it's all regulated at the school board level because there's no state law because we still can't get it passed. And that's true in a lot of places. A lot of it gets decided super locally. That's where all the power is. The right is pouring a ton of money Mm -hmm. into their horrible agenda at the school board level. And even if you're not ready to think about running for school board right now, paying attention to your local school board, finding out what's going to be on the agenda, going to the meetings, getting your friends to come with you. There's also on our website under Get Involved, one of the options is to check out our Speaking Up for Sex Ed guide, which is all about how to speak up at a local meeting about sex education with talking points and guidelines about how to handle opposition and all of that stuff. So nice. you don't have to be ready to like march on the state house, even if you're just ready to think about voting a little differently or pay attention to what's happening locally a little more. That can make a huge difference. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So another thing I saw on your website was we need to say gay, especially in the classroom, an article like that. And then, of course, everyone has been preoccupied with the Roe v. Wade reversal. So I guess how are these culture wars affecting the work? You know, it's very weird because when I started trying to build this organization, I thought about it for years and didn't do it. And then at the beginning of 2021, I was like, okay, this is the year I'm going to try and make this happen. And if it's not really happening by the end of the year, maybe I'll decide it's not happening. And the landscape has changed so much since even then in terms of the culture war. I thought that part of my challenge was going to be to get people to care about sex education. And I mean, the right has done my job for me on that front. (laughs) We're concerned. There's nobody coming to me and being like, why is this important? I'm salient right now. Um, So, but it's also horrible because, you know, we work with a ton of state and local full advocacy organizations. You know, our job at Educate Us is to get them what they need to work in their own communities. Like we're not parachuting in somewhere where we haven't been invited and being like, 
we'll change everything. We're working right. with, with organizers on the ground in their own communities. And everybody is absolutely hair on fire right now. It is terrible. They're getting accused of being pedophiles. It's very scary. And I feel, I feel a lot of days like I'm trying to empty the ocean with a teaspoon, if I'm being really honest, because we just started. Like, I wish we'd started this five years ago and then we'd be more ready for this moment. And I don't mean to suggest we're not. I'm, I'm doing good stuff every day. I could tell you a long list of the stuff we accomplished this week, but the need is so great so immediately. Yeah. And I'm a staff of one plus an intern. And so it's just, it's very overwhelming. And it's, it's about every day prioritizing like what's going to do the most good for what I can do today and trying to let the rest of it go, which is easier said than done. I have a friend who's a high powered lawyer and also a mom and like wears a lot of hats in the world. And I, a long time ago, I asked her like about how she, how does she like juggle it? <laughs> right. Like how do right. I, like, I was like, I feel like I'm always dropping the ball. What's your secret basically. And she said like, my secret is that I accept that I'm always going to drop the ball and I'm going to just dis- focus my attention on discerning which balls are rubber and which are glass. Oh, I like that. You know, like what's going to bounce, what's going to crash. And so like, that's what my life is like. My job is deciding which balls are rubber and which balls are glass every day. Well, you're doing the Lord's work. So thank you so much. And one more thing I want to talk to you about before we go is you recently wrote an article. It was called Who's Grooming Who? It was about co-opting the language of sexual trauma. And can you kind of explain the premise of that piece and how (sighs) it's affecting survivors? Yeah. I just, I've been getting increasingly upset about the, the groomer rhetoric that like, sex educators are groomers or LGBTQ students are groomers or, you know, queer teachers or teachers who are, Mm -hmm. or just allies, like anybody who's doing something that the culture wars from the right doesn't like are grooming children. That's the allegation. And as a survivor of sexual violence, it just, it literally makes me sick to my stomach. And I'm not a survivor of childhood sexual assault, but just, I was like, I can't even quite articulate it. And so I just started thinking, where are the actual survivors of grooming in this conversation, right? Right. Like, I feel like they're getting absolutely negated and erased. And like this thing that is a very serious thing that really does happen to some people is now like this political bludgeon and is so awful and ugly. So I did for that piece, I interviewed queer and trans survivors of childhood sexual abuse about how this is impacting them. It was a really hard piece to write because it's just, it's hard. I'm going to sit with people in a lot of pain, but I I was really proud of that piece because I was like, I just want people to listen to survivors. If we're talking about sexual violence, we should always be centering survivors, period, full stop. And then you look at what's happening, you know, in the last week with this case of the 10-year-old in Ohio who was raped and needed to go to Indiana for abortion. And And the reaction on the right to that has been to deny that she was assaulted. These are the same people who are supposedly so concerned about children being sexually violated. But when when they are faced with an actual child who has been sexually violated, they care about everything but her. It's just disgusting. And I really want everyone to think of every time you hear that term of groomer or pedophile or any of that rhetoric, I want you to think like that there are real people who are really experiencing that or really have experienced that 
who are getting flattened and obliterated by this disgusting, disgusting attack. And I want us to recenter them in the conversation. Yeah, you know, it really just, I feel like you hear things over and over and over again and like the repetition of it just like dulls. Dulls what's really happening in your mind and and yeah it's just like the way language gets co-opted politically is so insidious as you know if you read my piece like in that article there's a trans woman who literally quit her teaching job because she was like they're gonna come for me and I'm just I don't want to be there when that happens right and there's like somebody else who's thinking about leaving the country right like this is really hurting real people yeah okay so Super bummer, but <laughs> is there anything <laughs> optimistic that is happening in the sex ed space or the current culture that you can leave us with? <laughs> is this the least sexy episode you've ever done? <laughs> you know what? Sometimes episodes are necessary. <laughs> I will say that, well, I'll say a couple of things. One is that there's this great organization in Virginia that I'm kind of obsessed with, which is called Pride Liberation Project, which is queer high school students organizing themselves for their own rights. And last night, they had a protest at the Fairfax, Virginia school board meeting demanding better sex education. And they made these huge letters and nailed them into the ground. And there were dozens of, they're on their summer fucking break, right? High school students. What are they doing? They're like demanding their rights. They're not asking. They're demanding their rights. And they're super savvy. They called the press. They know they're amazing. They know what they're doing. And it makes me really happy. And I'll also say like, there are a ton of great sex educators in the world. And I get Mm -hmm. to talk to and work with a bunch of them. And there's a lot of great work being done about like racial justice and centering racism and thinking about racial equity and anti-racism in sex education because you know when you start talking about the body and identity and like self-determination like those issues are related and the way that we experience our sexuality depends a lot based on race and I feel like that conversation is really blossoming right now and you know my job is just to make lots of jobs for sex educators like if we can get more policies passed and more school districts saying you have to teach good sex education there's a ton of great sex educators out there just waiting to do it. Okay. I feel a little bit better. (laughs) Where can people find you online and shout out the website for the organization one more time? Yeah. Yeah. The website's educateusaction.org. You can also find us at educateusaction on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can find me at Jacqueline F on Twitter, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F as in Friedman and Jacqueline Fable on Instagram. Yes, truly. So nice to catch up with you. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Good to see you. Thanks again to Jacqueline. Unfortunately, her sex ed bill did not pass during this session. Boo! But she says, we're already plotting about how to get it done next session, but it's absolutely maddening. If you're worried about sex ed in the U.S. after listening to this and you want to support the cause, definitely head over to her organization's website and give them some love. I am putting the link in the episode description. And of course, make sure you're signed up for our Substack. It's just privatepartsunknown.substack.com. The link for that also in the episode description and follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and Private Parts Un on Twitter. 
Shout out to Amy Rausch for the bomb-ass theme music. For more about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H dot com. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda of Plastic Audio. I love you, Mike. (laughs) And after enjoying this content, could I ask you for a quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private and give us a five-star rating and review. It helps other people find the show and it makes me feel so, so good. Again, go to ratethispodcast.com slash private or if you're listening on Spotify, it's super easy. You just go to the upper right-hand corner of our page, click the star button and then click all five stars and oh, you just made my day. Wasn't that easy? (laughs) Thank you so much. Until next time, I am wishing you lots of horniness and happiness and good, thorough, accurate sex education. Bye.